The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Blakeney. Rest that they had to experience in their lives, in their hearts first, before they would experience it in their pocketbooks, in their bodies, in every other way. See, if you look at the Old Testament and you understand rest, rest doesn't mean being passive, being inactive. Not at all. Because Canaan, there were even battles in Canaan. But the reality is, rest is coming to a place where we learn to depend upon God so that we don't take matters into our own hand. We learn that His grace is sufficient. His way is enough. His word is true. And we can trust Him with everything in life. And when we learn that, guess what happens? We learn to follow Him. Israel camped around the presence of God in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of learning to trust in God's sufficiency, depending in his sufficiency. But it's also the place of learning how to walk in his presence. In Exodus 33, verse 14, God says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Without the presence of God, there's no rest. Learning how to walk in the presence means we learn how to host the presence of God. We learn how to live in the presence of God. We learn how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't do things on our own initiative or our own accord, but we allow God to lead us. It's amazing how many Christians will say things that are really worldly philosophies and they try to attribute its origin to the Scripture. Like, for example, God helps those that help themselves. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Scripture. Tell that to so many people that got themselves in a mess because they didn't wait upon God. They didn't follow His leading. Think of Ishmael. Think of King Saul. They ran ahead of God. We see Abraham and Ishmael. They ran ahead of God. See, it's a place where we follow his leading. Like Jesus, who said in John 5, 19, he said, I can do nothing of my own, but what I see the Father do, so I do likewise. It's a place of following the presence of God. When we learn how to live in the presence of God, then we experience rest. When we learn how to depend upon his grace, then we learn to experience rest. When we don't take matters into our own hands and when we seek God for understanding and revelation and wait for him to show us the way in which to go, then we experience rest. When you experience rest, when I experience rest, you understand that we experience the fullness of God's salvation for us. Everything that we've talked about that Canaan typifies. The New International Version says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. 
in repentance and rest is salvation. Do you want to experience the fullness of God's salvation? Spirit, soul, mind, body, materially, everything that he's promised you. Then you have to walk in rest. Powerful scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse number 11. It says, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Think about that. That's, that's paradoxical, isn't it? Let us be diligent. Let's work hard to enter rest. Why is it that God says to us, we have to work hard to enter rest? Because our human nature wants to do things by our own volition. We want to be in charge of our lives. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want to be the captain of our faith. But the reality is God says, no, 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 that's not the way of the kingdom. You have to learn to depend upon me. And he says... In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 10, look at this. He who has entered his rest, meaning God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. When you enter his rest, you cease from your works. Does that mean that as Christians we just sit back and are lazy and do nothing? Let the world go to hell? No, not at all. The Bible is clear that we are called to good works. Philippians 2, verse number 13 says, verse number 12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is a work that God has called us to do. Even though we are not saved by works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, 10 says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to walk in good works. That we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. What does it mean? It means this. The word prepare is a very interesting term. In the New Testament, there's two words that are translated prepared. The one speaks of an external preparation, but the other one speaks of an internal preparation. The latter is used in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And he's saying that God has prepared us internally. Do you know what that means? It means that he's dropped the spiritual GPS in us. He's put a GPS in us so that we can hear his voice and we can follow his leading. He already has it planned what he wanted you to do with your life. He knows exactly everything. Read Psalm 139. But he's saying, I want to show you the way. Whether you turn to the left or you turn to the right, Isaiah said, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to be led by the Spirit. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And a lot of times the reason why things fail in life is because God has not sanctioned it as part of his, part of his plan for us. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll show you the way. I want you to trust me in such a way that you will live in my presence, that you'll, walk, you'll follow me. Where I am, there my servant is also, Jesus said. That you will go where I am. You will move where I'm moving. You will follow my Holy Spirit. He is a GPS to lead us in the way that God has planned for our lives. 
So we do those works. Jesus said, my father's working and I'm working. We do those works. But they're not our works. They're his works. On earth as it is in heaven. What God is doing, we do. Now, I know this is profound. I know this is deep. But I think we can get this. There is a place in the new covenant where we walk by faith, not by sight. As Christians, many of us, we walk by sight, not by faith. If we don't, if we can't map it out, if we can't, you know, plan it, if it doesn't make sense to us, we're not going there. God says, I want you to follow me. I'll lead you. I want you to walk by faith. I want you to hear my voice. Faith is the evidence of things. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith perceives as reality that which is not revealed to the senses. What does that mean? (laughs) In the book of Jude, the writer speaks of false teachers, and he said, Such men are sensual, having not the spirit. Think about that. These false teachers, he says, they're sensual, having not the spirit. They're void of the spirit. What is he saying? He's saying that they live according to their senses. That's what a sensual person is. You live according to your senses. You walk by sight, not by faith. If we were to truly live all the days of our life by what looks good, what sounds good, what seems logical, we'll never enter into the promises of God. We'll never experience the victories and the breakthroughs that we need. We've got to learn to walk by faith, where we hear what God says. Everybody says, Lazarus is dead, and Jesus says, he's just sleeping. Everyone says, Sarah, you can't have a child. You're too old. It's, it's physically, physiologically impo- impossible. And God says, I say those things, I call those things that are not as if they are. I will cause you to experience what I said in my word. When I have spoken to you and given you a promise, it is up to you to contend. It is up to you to follow my voice. It is up to you to follow me and to believe what I've said. Let God be true and every man a liar. If he says it, he'll do it. He's faithful. But he's looking for a people that will stand, a people that will believe, a people that will say, yes, God, you're true. Your word shall come to pass in my life. And I know that it's your will. And when we learn to depend upon him, we rest in his presence. Then guess what happens? God causes us to experience restoration. Think about it. Take the word restoration, delete the first four letters, rest. What do you have? Nothing. Oration, what's that? See, there is no no restoration without rest. Now, I'm not just, you know, playing words here, semantics. I want you to understand this is a scriptural principle. How do I know this? Because in the Hebrew economy... Every seven years, the Bible says the land was to rest, correct? They call that the Shemitah year. 
But at the end of seven cycles of seven years, there's something called the year of Jubilee. Now, what happens is at the end of the seventh year, the Shemitah year, God says, here's what you do. The land rests. But at the, at the beginning, that entire seventh year, God says the land rests. Don't plow. Don't sow. Do nothing. Don't harvest. The land rests. And what happens? At the end of the seven years, it says in Deuteronomy 15 that debts were to be forgiven. Now, that's the end of the Shemitah year. So understand this. Rest, then restoration. The year of Jubilee is not only are debts canceled, but property is returned and slaves are emancipated. But that time, the year rests. Why? Because God is saying, without rest, there's no restoration. Rest precedes restoration. A lot of us, we, we get ourselves in a position where we don't know what to do. And rather than our first and natural response being going to God and waiting to hear from Him, we take matters into our own hands and we may be able to put a band-aid on it for a season. We might be able to give, you know, a temporary fix and patch on the situation. But if we keep living this way, we're never going to experience the breakthrough that God has for us. Yes, you can survive in the wilderness. You can have what you want in the wilderness. But God wants you to have not just enough, but more than enough. He wants you not to coexist with your enemies, but he wants you to experience all of his promises. Freedom, deliverance, healing, prosperity, all of the blessings that he's promised in his word. But you've got to learn to rest so that you can come out of the wilderness and move into your destiny. And the sooner we learn the lesson, the shorter the time we'll spend in the wilderness. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Deuteronomy 8.16 says this. God says, I fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. That I, he might humble, that I might humble you and test you. Listen to this. To do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. The purpose of the wilderness is to prepare a people for a profusion of his blessings. And as I said before, sometimes the more powerful the promotion, the more profound the preparation process. God is saying, I'm raising up a people in this hour. A people that will understand that what I did at the cross was enough. I said it is finished. I've given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You need to believe my word. You need to go in and possess the land. What I've already given to you, I've told you it's yours. You can come out of the wilderness the moment you learn to depend upon me and trust in my sufficiency and be led by my presence. Folks, religion will not bring you out of the wilderness. 
Going to church on Sunday will not bring you out of the wilderness. Putting of some money in the offering will not take you out of the wilderness. It is a life that God is calling us into. A life where we trust Him, we depend upon Him, and we learn to walk in His presence and be led by His Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise Him. Let's give Him praise. Come on, let's... Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your plans and your purpose for our lives. We thank you for a restoration. You know, the year in the Hebrew calendar 5775 is what we're currently in, and it's a Shemitah year. But the good thing about God, about Jesus, is every year is a Shemitah year with Jesus. Do you know that? Every year is a Shemitah year, is a year of Jubilee with Jesus. When he stood up in Luke chapter 4, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, in verse number 18 and 19. And he said, Because he's anointed me to preach good news. And he talked about setting the captives free and bringing people out of prison. He said, And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He was talking about the year of Jubilee. It is the acceptable year of the Lord. Or some translations say the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is now. God's angry with me. Well, guess what? Even if he is, his mercy endures forever. Come before him. Humble yourself. And he said, I will not remain angry with my people. He said, I will forgive you. I will cast off your sins. Throw them into the sea. The bottomless sea. I think it was Corey Ten Boom said years ago, when God throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, then he puts up a no fishing sign. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He forgives us. He's so good. Can we stand together? Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know if the worship team, Pastor uh, Matt, can you just lead us in... In a, in a song here, I just want to just enter into a time of worship. This morning, my word of encouragement to you is to remember this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of restoration. This is the time when you can enter in and possess all that He's promised you. Enter rest. Cease from your works. Cease just trying to do it your way. Come on now, this isn't Burger King. This is the kingdom of God. You can't have it your way. Jesus is a king. He's not a prime minister or a president. You can't elect him or re-elect him or vote him out. He's king for life. And he wants you to know that he's a good king. And he has a plan for you. The Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. You know, when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians, Jesus shows up and appears to him on the road to Damascus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's not easy for you to kick against the goats. He was saying this at the, at the back of a, you know, in the front of a, of a, a cart. There's something what they called goats. And they were like sharp sticks that stuck out. And if the oxen decided they were going to kick, guess what? 
they hurt themselves. It was a futile endeavor. And God is saying, when you resist my will, when you balk against my plans for your life, you're kicking against the goats. And it's not easy to kick against the goats. In other words, you're just hurting yourself. Why are you hurting yourself? Why is it that you won't yield to the Holy Ghost? Why is it that you keep running? Let me tell you, you can't run from a God who's already there where you're going. He's already there. You can't run from Him. No matter what you try, He's there. He's with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you might as well just lay it down at the cross. You might as well just surrender your life. You might as well stop striving and be still and know that He is God. He said, I will lead you in the way that is best for you. I will lead you in the way that is best for your life if you trust me. We're going to just worship the Lord for a moment. While we are, if you feel that this message is spoken to your heart, God is calling you to that place of rest. I want to ask you just to come and stand at the front. Just stand there, begin to worship, connect with the Lord spiritually. And let's just see what the Holy Spirit does in this place this morning. If you're here this morning and you've been running from God, we tell you it's a futile endeavor. You can't outrun God. You might as well give up. You might as well give up and experience His love and grace. You might as well let Him have His way in your life. Because the pleasures of sin are just for a season. Lay it down and experience joy, righteousness, and peace for eternity. Lay it down and enter into rest. Lay it down. If you're here today and you say, yes, I've been running from God, I want you to come and stand at the front right now as well. Because we're going to just see the Holy Ghost do something awesome in this place today. In the name of Jesus. Is it time to sow? And it's time to reap? Would you do it again? Do it again. Is it time to heal? And it's time to mend? Consecrate yourselves to me. 
spoke about a yoke. He said, my yoke is light. My, burden, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's not to say that there isn't responsibility. There isn't work. There is. But it's, it's not something that's going to put you in the grave when you're doing things God's way. His presence will give you rest. His presence. Sometimes it's the weight we're carrying. Sometimes it's how we're carrying the weight because we're doing it in our own lives, in our own strength. But understand that there's a place of rest that God's calling His people into. It's a place where you experience all that Canaan was a type and shadow of. You experience it all. You experience the fulfillment of His promises. You experience the fullness of His provision. You experience peace and security from your enemies. You live there as a place of perpetual blessing. It's not just a place where you visit, but Canaan land is a place you're supposed to live. It's your place of habitation and residence. Come on now, what kind of God would he be? And he just said, you know, I don't he doesn't want weekend visitation rights. He's not that type of dad. He wants soul custody. He wants access to us 24/7. That's what he has. He wants to live with us. He wants us to live with him. That's his plan. And I challenge you today as you go in the name of Jesus that this message would burn in your heart and you would make the necessary corrections and adjustment in your life to live in that place of rest. Just before we go, I'm going to pray for you. But just before I even do that, I just want to ask everyone in this building if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, please. I know there are people here today. You've been running from God. You've been rebelling against God. But I want to tell you, He loves you. He has a plan for your life, and He's here to forgive you. And not only just forgive you, but He's going to make all things new, is what He said in His, he says in his Word. I want to just ask you, if you're here today and you say, Yes, I'm not right with Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need to stop running from God and begin following God. If you're here this morning, would you just... Lift up your hand so I can pray for you before you leave. He has a plan for your life, and He's here to forgive you. And not only just forgive you, but He's going to make all things new, is what He said in his, He says in His Word. I want to just ask you, if you're here today and you say, Yes, I'm not right with Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need to stop running from God and begin following God. If you're here this morning, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you before you leave? Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Blakeney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, 
please visit our website, awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can receive powerful, life-changing teaching. We appreciate that effort, and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode of Kingdom Encounter. Kingdom Encounter.